All right, let's get let's get this show on the road. How many of you guys are are uh, familiar with the website despair.com? Okay. Okay, how many of you guys are in the corporate world? Most of us, right? How many of you have seen those motivational posters that people put up that have the beautiful, you know, scene of ducks flying through the air and it talks about, you know, working in unity and it's got some kind of a slogan underneath it and they're they're kind of smarmy and, you know, they're, they're like really bad attempts to get unity in your company by putting a poster up on the wall. Well, this guy came up years ago with um, a parody of that, and it's called Despair.com. And it's, it's hilarious. And this guy has actually, he's become filthy rich doing this, but he has come up with a whole series of products that are parodies on the motivational posters and postcards. And, and I mean, the guy's made a fortune. And I wanted to show some of them to you, and you'll see where I'm headed with this. This one says, adversity, that which does not kill me postpones the inevitable. <laughs> and, I mean, he sells these things like crazy. You can get them in, in full-blown posters, framed. I mean, it's, he's written a book called Demotivation, um, and it's a bestseller. How about ambition, the journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to put that one on my wall. Okay. Consulting. If you're not a part of the solution, there's good money to be made in prolonging the problem. <laughs> uh, having been a consultant for seven years, I, I can relate to that. Discovery. A company that will go to the ends of the earth for its people will find it can hire them for about 10% the cost of Americans. <laughs> I'm only doing this because I really don't have anything to say this morning. So. <laughs> Effort. Hard work never killed anybody, but it is illegal in some places. <laughs> I think it's illegal in my home based on my kids. Losing. If at first you don't succeed, failure may be your style. <laughs> uh, that's a great one. Potential. Not everyone gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. You've got to think about this one. Think about that visual. You're going to be flipping burgers. Okay. And then I had to come up with this one because our word for this morning is believe. You can achieve your wildest dreams, but there's no guarantee you'll survive long enough to enjoy them. (laughs) That little fish is in for a hard dose of reality. Well, that's our word for this morning. We're going through the commands of Christ. Last week we picked up on the first one. But... This morning, we're going to talk about this word, believe, because Jesus said, believe in me. How many of you, and this is always kind of risky, but um, how many of you consider yourself to be believers? Go ahead, raise your hands. If you're not sure, go ahead and raise your hand anyway. What is it you believe? You ever thought about that? You know, we, we use that term pretty loosely pretty fast and loose in the church environment that, you know, we're believers. But have you ever stopped to think, what is, what is it you believe? And most of us, if, if asked, will probably say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. But is that all it is? is and that, I don't mean to make that sound like it's not enough or it's light, but what is it we believe? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the inerrancy of the word? Do you believe your sins are forgiven? And really, I think if, if I'd handed out three-by-five cards and asked everybody to put 
one thing they believe in when they say that they're a believer, we'd probably get a wide variety of responses. You know, some might say, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe my sins are forgiven. I believe I'm going to heaven. Um, I believe I can have victory over sin. What is it you believe this morning? Uh, Do you believe that you can have joy? Do you believe that you can have peace? Do you believe that you have the power of the Almighty God at your disposal? Do you believe that you can have an impact in the world in which you live? Do you believe that you're called of God to make a difference? What is it you believe? You know, as we look at these commands, what's really uh, been kind of interesting for me is, as I said, there's at least 49 different commands that, that I've found of Christ. And the ones that I'm kind of, you're probably seeing a pattern here, the ones that I'm going for are the, the ones we overlook. Um, you know, it'd be really easy to sit here and say, well, you know, let's, let's talk about pray. And we'll probably talk about that. But there's some that we, we know that we should be doing, and then there's some that are just we skirt over them. And this is one of those, because Jesus clearly commands us to believe. But the question for us this morning is, believe what? So how many of us are believers and true believers? And believers in the sense that Jesus commanded us to be. You know, last week we looked at this first command, and here's where we were. It says, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we looked at this issue of repentance. What is repentance? And it's, it's not just turning away from your sins, but it's a complete change of mind. It's a change of perspective. And so that's where we began. But that verse, that command comes with a second part, and this is what leads us to where we are today. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe and believe. Believe in the gospel. What's interesting about this command? Here we are post-resurrection. And we look at this and we, when we hear the gospel, we automatically think of what? Jesus Christ did what? What did he do? He died for us. He went to the cross. He died. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of the Father. But think of the context here. It's Mark chapter 1, beginning of his ministry, and he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Had they heard anything about the cross at this point in time? No. He hadn't even picked his disciples yet. So he says, believe in the gospel. What is he asking them to believe in? He hasn't told them about the cross. He hasn't told them he's going to have to die. He hasn't told them about Jerusalem and the beatings and the spitting and the scourging. So what are they to believe in? What are they to repent of? In other words, change their mind about and believe in. And it's an interesting question that we need, I think, to wrestle with. John chapter 14 says this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, Jesus said. Believe also in me. Believe also in me. Now, one thing I want to be real careful of. I'm not trying to get away from the cross. I'm not trying to diminish the value of the cross, because without the cross, we've got no reason to be here. But you have to look at the context that Jesus was talking to these people. He says, believe also in me. What are they supposed to believe? 
They can't believe at this point that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again and you sit at the right hand of the Father because he hadn't done it yet and he hadn't told them yet. So for these people, what were they to believe? What were the disciples to believe? And it's, an, you know, again, if I had to write down on a three-by-five card, I would gravitate towards, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in my place for my sins, as my sin substitute, rose again the third day, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and someday he's coming back. That's what I believe. And I believe that. But I think it has to be more than that, especially in a room like this where I am again assuming, probably wrongly so, that most of us, if not all of us, are believers, are, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is it I'm to believe? You're all familiar with this verse. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Believes in him. If you go back and you read the Gospel of John, this word believes appears there more than in any of the other Gospels, any, any other New Testament book. Fifty-nine times the word believe takes place. And it's, it's a powerful message. And in John chapter 3, you're going to see it over and over again. And it it helps to put this verse back in its context, and we'll do that in a little bit. So believe in him. Believe also in me. Believe in the gospel. What is it we're to believe? What does it mean to believe? This This is really important because I think that in the church today and in Christ Chapel today, there are people who come every single Sunday who say they believe. Now, what they believe is is up for grabs, but they say they believe. But if you look at their life, you don't see the evidence of what they believe. It doesn't flesh itself out in daily life. And maybe that's you. Um, I know it's been me on more than one occasion in my life. You know, I say I believe, but if you held the magnifying glass up to me, if you shine the light in my life, on other days besides Sunday, do I really live like what I believe? And it all goes back to what we believe. And it's not enough, and again, this sounds sacrilegious, but it's not enough just to say, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. Because if all you're thinking about is your your ultimate destination of heaven, you've missed the point. And how many times have I said this? If that's all there is, why didn't he take us when he saved us? Why in the world did he leave us here? And this is where belief really comes in, is now. You know what? It's not going to take any, any amount of belief when, when the rapture takes place and the Lord returns and the trumpet goes off. I'm not going to have to believe one thing to meet him in the air. It's going to happen. I'm not going to have to sit there and think, gee, everybody's going, I wonder if I should go. I wonder if that's going to be better. You know, i got some stuff I really wanted to get done today. You know, there's a Mavs game on tonight. This is a really bad day for this. I'm not going to have to believe anything. I'm gone. It's just I'm going to get sucked up. What's the believing for? The believing, and what I want to get through our heads this morning, is that it has more to do right now with our here and now than anything else. Because when I talk to people in my office, when I talk to many of you guys, where do we struggle? 
Where is God in this? How come I don't have any joy? How come I keep going through the same lessons over and over again? How come, how come, how come, why, why, why? What is that a problem with? Believing. Believing that God loves you. Believing that Jesus Christ is there and that you have the power to live the life you've been called to live. So what does it mean to believe? It's not just, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, someday he's coming back. That is great. It's wonderful. It's the heart of the gospel. But man, if we don't believe more than that, here and now, we're going to always live disappointed lives waiting for the future. You know, I've said this, I really do long for him to come back. But if I live longing for him to come back, I will always be unhappy here. And he didn't leave me here to be unhappy here. He left me here to have joy, to have peace, to have contentment, to have an impact, to love being with guys like this, to love going to work, to love playing with my kids. He left me here. And he's equipped me to live a life that is full of belief. But belief in what? Let's look real closely and briefly at what does this word mean, belief? Believe. If you get a concordance out and you do a word study, you're going to basically see this Greek word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it could sound nasty. But it just basically means believe. It's it's. It's not a real deep thing. It's, it's to think to be true, to be persuaded of something, to, to credit, to place confidence in. I mean, it's, it's pretty basic. It's, it's to believe, to have confidence in something. I believe this. I believe in this. I think this to be true. I believe that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. I believe that my kids are going to turn out all right, even though some days I wonder. I, I believe, I have confidence in, I'm persuaded. But there's also another meaning. Mere acknowledgement of some fact or event. Intellectual faith. Intellectual belief. Some event, some fact, and you just acknowledge it. You know, I believe this pedestal here is black. I believe those tables are white. I believe, you know, I could, I could believe otherwise, but I'd be an idiot. And I could argue with you ever, you, you know people like that, don't you? I have a daughter who's that way, who, you know, we've always joked she, she needs to be an attorney because she loves to argue. Because, you know, we'll say, man, it's a beautiful day. And she goes, well, it looks like it could rain. There's not a cloud in the sky. Well, I, 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 it could rain, Dad. Well, sure it could, but it doesn't look like it's going to rain. And you get into this argument. It's like, okay. We're not talking about number two here, mere acknowledgement of some fact or event. There are people who will say, I believe Jesus Christ. I, I was going to show you a video, and we didn't get a chance to do it. It's, I'm not getting on Chris, but um, in the video, it's real interesting. This, this guy talks about um, his belief, and he goes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I just don't believe he's the Son of God. And the whole video, this guy is talking, and it shows him in church, worshiping with his family, except that he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He believes in all the moral values that Jesus taught. And he's taking his kids to church, and he's playing with his kids in the den, and he's throwing the ball with his... You know, this guy believes intellectually that Jesus Christ lived and that he was a good moral teacher. He just doesn't believe the rest of the stuff. 
So there's a difference between mere intellectual faith or belief and somebody who thinks something to be true and he's persuaded of it. He's persuaded of it. It's the same root word that we get the word faith in the New Testament. And that's pistis. It's, it's faith. And so you'll see those sometimes in some variations or some translations, they're translated back and forth. But it, it has to do, it, belief has to do with faith. And, and here's, here's something I, I hope will help you. Pistis is faith. It's, it's what we have. I have faith. Okay, I have faith in Jesus Christ. Pistuo is having faith. It's living it out. It's faith in action. It's faith lived out in our daily lives. Believing is putting your faith to the test. Okay, it's real easy for me to say, I have faith in Jesus Christ. Prove it. What do you mean, prove it? Show it in your life. What? How does it flesh itself out? How do you show your faith in action? I, I had a, a meeting yesterday, yesterday with a, a lady who's really struggling with her relationship with God. And she said, I just can't trust God. God never comes through. I said, well, why do you think that is? She goes, I don't know. I just think he can't stand me. There's something about me he doesn't like. God just never delivers. I pray and he never answers my prayer. I said, okay, well... But what do you do when he doesn't, quote, answer your prayer? She goes, I just take care of it myself. I said, hmm, that's interesting. How quickly do you take care of it yourself? And she goes, pretty quickly, because I'm a can-do person. So I said, basically, you pray, God doesn't answer quick enough or in the form you want, so you just take care of it yourself. And therefore, God never answers your prayers. She goes, that's right. I said, maybe you don't. Give God time. Maybe you're so busy meeting your own needs, doing it your way, delivering yourself from your own problems that God never has a chance to do what he wants to do. Because God's not going to do it on your timeline, and God's not going to probably answer it the way you want it answered. So it's not that God doesn't want to or can answer your prayers. It's that you won't give him time. She is saying she believes in God, but she is not living it out. She'd rather be her own God. And I see that in many lives, and I see it in my life way too often. This is, this is having to do, if you say you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you say you believe he's the Son of God, how does it live itself out in your daily life? Don't tell me your testimony. Show me your testimony. Show it in how you live. It's faith in action. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Really? Prove it. How do you believe you're the Son of God? Well, let me get my Bible out. No, I don't want you to get your Bible out. I want you to live it out. I want to see Jesus Christ as the Son of God in your life. Because if you believe He's the Son of God, how come you live just like everybody else down your block? If you believe Jesus Christ lives within you and He, he has the power of the living God... In the form of the Holy Spirit, living within you, how come you handle problems the same way everybody else does? Do you see the point? What is it you believe? Is it just some mental assent? Well, I want to go back to our story from last week, serpents on a stick. Uh, Numbers 21, flip there real quick. Those of you who weren't here, we spent some time in this kind of obscure story. 
And I just want to briefly look at it again, because I think it'll help clear this up even more. You know, when, when Jesus, when Jesus was walking this planet and he was saying, repent and believe in me, what was he asking them to, to change their mind about, repent and believe in? They were having to make a major shift. Remember, he's talking to Jewish people and he's saying, repent, change your mind about everything you know and all the perspectives you've built up over generations. This is the way it is. We are the chosen people of God. If we keep the law, we will be saved. If the Messiah returns and we hope he does, he will reestablish us as a power force in this part of the world. He'll overturn the Romans. This is what they believed. And he's saying, no, 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 change your mind. Walk away from that and believe something else. Believe what? That he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior. But don't you think they looked at him and went, this is the Messiah? A raggedy-looking guy from Nazareth? I mean, he's a carpenter's son. You're the Messiah? Mm, I don't know about that. They had to believe that he was the Son of God. See, their concept of the Messiah did not include him being the Son of God. They thought he would be another David. Just another man, just another leader, just another king. So they were having to change their mind and they were having to believe certain things about him. He was the Son of God. He spoke for God. He was not only the Son of God, he was God, which is what got him in trouble with the Pharisees over and over again. Well, look at Numbers chapter 21. Remember the story. Verse 4, the people are complaining again. They became impatient. The people spoke against God and Moses, verse 5. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water. We loathe this miserable food. Of course, it came from God. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people, so many people died. They came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. Isn't it interesting? What do they ask for? What do they ask for? A miracle, but what's the context of the miracle? What what do they ask Moses to ask God to do? Get rid of the trouble. Remove the serpents. And but what what do they start with? We have sinned. Hey, by the way, get rid of the serpents. We've sinned. Get rid of the punishment for the sin. Get rid of the consequences. Exactly. How many of us pray like that? You know, God, I've ignored you for months. I haven't been in your word. God, I haven't done this. God, I don't pray. God, I don't believe. God, I... And now I'm in trouble. Could you, could you, like, get rid of the consequences of my living apart from you? Could you just, like, remove it? What does God typically do? He doesn't answer that request. He didn't answer that request here. Because the people say, intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us So Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord says, and I love this. They want the serpent removed. He says, hey, make a fiery serpent. Do you get the humor in that? They want it removed. And he goes, Moses, go make a permanent one. Go make a fiery serpent, set it on a stick, and it shall shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses makes a bronze serpent, sets it on a standard and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, which he was, they were biting them all, when that man looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, the reason I want to go back to this 
is because, again, there's a lesson for us to learn. Seeing is believing. You know, we've heard that phrase before. This takes on a whole new meaning for me, though. Seeing is believing. Was it enough for them just to look? Now, you may conjecture here from the text that, yeah, all they had to do was look. But I'm going to say, no, it wasn't just enough to look. It wasn't enough. The word for looks here is ra'ah in the Hebrew. It means to see, to look at, to inspect, to perceive, to consider. Now, you may sit there and go, what does that have to do with anything? You've also got to look and see where this word is used elsewhere to get an idea of what it really means. I I hear the word looks, and I I think I just, okay, I looked at that, I looked at this. You know, you go to a store and somebody says, can I help you? No, I'm just looking. Uh, Just That basically means leave me alone. What does it mean here? It's the same word used in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Look at this. But the Lord said to Samuel, the context here is Samuel's been sent to Jesse's house to look for the next king to replace Saul. He doesn't know who it is. He just knows it's going to be in Jesse's home. He goes there, and the Lord says, after Samuel's looked at all these sons going, hey, that must be him. He's tall. That must be him. He looks like a king. He looks like a king. And God keeps saying, no, no, not him, not him. He says, do not look, and that word is nabat, and that means don't pay attention to his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For God sees ra'ah, not as man sees ra'ah, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Is this just a casual glance? Is this just, look, there's a serpent on a stick. Huh, great. Look, there's a whole bunch on the ground. Is that what he's talking about? If you'll just look, you'll be okay? Because what happened when they looked away, and the text doesn't tell us this, but I really believe that if they took their eyes off that standard and started walking around again, what would happen? The serpents had not been gotten rid of. I think they got bit again. This is much more of a look and focus and look intently, but look at what it means. Why did he put a serpent on the stick? Why not put a lamb on the stick? Why not put anything but? Why a serpent? Because when they looked at the serpent, what did it remind them of? What got them in trouble in the first place? They're complaining, they're bickering, they're moaning, they're griping, their lack of faith in God. So to look, I think it meant more than just glance. I love the Net Bible says it this way. Don't be impressed by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. God does not view things the way men do. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When the Lord looks at your heart, is it just a casual glance? Does he go, oh, Kid's got some black stuff in his heart. No, he bores in and he looks and he sees it and he's intent and he knows what it means and he knows that that's my problem. He looks at my heart. And when he looked at David's heart, what he saw was good. Even though when Samuel looked at David, he probably saw scrawny little Hebrew kid. This is the next king? Look intently. So in in this Numbers passage, when it says that if a serpent be any man, when that man looked to the bronze serpent, when he looked, when he cast his eyes on the bronze serpent, and I guarantee it was more than just look, this guy had to believe something. What did he have to believe? It It would save him. It would save him. They had to exhibit faith by looking. 
In other words, Moses told them, here's the plan. You wanted God to get rid of the serpents. Here's God's plan. Notice that it's completely different than theirs. Isn't that typical? This is the plan. You've got to look at this snake on a stand and believe that if you do that, it will heal. How idiotic did that sound? Completely idiotic. But they had to believe. I believe that the looking included believing. They had to look, believing they would be healed. That's the key. So you say you believe in Jesus. What is it you believe? And are you looking to him to be your solution? Not just to get you to heaven, but to make it through this life. See, God wanted to change the people's perspective. Change their mind. Get them to repent of what they had been doing and change their perspective. What had they been doing? They'd been complaining. It was the pattern of their lives. Every time they you know, stubbed their toe, they complained. We wish we were back in Egypt. It was wonderful in Egypt. And how stupid was that? They were slaves. They were making bricks without straw. They were under abuse. This guy had tried to wipe out their kids. This was not a good place, but they would rather go back to that than see things from God's perspective. Change your mind. Repent. Change your perspective. Again, we looked at this passage last week. This is the key. This is where I think it really means more than just look. John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent. This is Jesus talking, guys. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. When we look to the cross, what are we believing We are believing that beaten, bloody man who didn't even look like a man is the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, who came from glory, took the form of a baby, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross. That thing hanging up there that looks so horrible is the Son of God. That's what you have to believe. Whoever believes will in him have eternal life. That's why when they looked at the serpent on a stick... They had to believe more. It was more than just a casual glance. And for many of us, I believe today, our relationship with Jesus Christ is a casual glance. It's a casual glance. It doesn't have any meat behind it. It doesn't have any depth behind it. It doesn't impact the way we live our lives. Looking at Jesus on the cross does not save anyone. You've seen people walking around with crucifixes. You know, there are churches that have... You know, Jesus on the cross, he's still hanging there. And people look at it and they believe in it. But just looking at that and looking at him on the cross did not save anyone. The soldiers looked at him. The people around him looked at him. The, the thief on one side and the thief on the other both looked at him hanging on the cross. But only one asked to be taken to paradise. Believing in Jesus, as you have to believe him as a solution for your sins. That's what saves you. Believing in him is the solution for your sins. When they looked at the serpent on a stick, what were they believing? This is the solution for my sin, not getting rid of the serpents, the punishment for my sins. See, I want him to get rid of the punishment. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, Lord. I'm sorry. Would you just get rid of the punishment? Please get rid of the punishment. And he never answers that prayer. Really frustrates me. Because I think I know what's best for me. 
He never gets rid of the punishment. He wants me to learn from the punishment and realize that my sin has consequence and that his son died on the cross to deliver me. I shouldn't be sinning in the first place because I have the power of the living God but living in me. I just want to leave you with several thoughts before we go. What is it you believe? What is it you believe? You know, it's easy to believe... It's easy to believe that he died as my sin substitute. Why? Because I know I can't do it. I know I can't live a perfect life. So the idea of him dying on the cross, I fully embrace that. I fully accept that. I fully believe it. What's really hard to believe is that I can live a godly life because of him. That's harder to believe because I still think I can pull this off somehow here. I still think I can do it my way. And it's really hard to believe that he's there and he can empower me. The concept of belief goes beyond salvation. It's a huge part of salvation, but it goes beyond that. It plays an integral role in our sanctification, our process towards holiness. We will not grow more holy if we do not continue to believe in who he is and all that that means. We've got to believe he can save us. But we also must believe that he can transform us. This is where most of us struggle. We really don't believe he can transform us. I'm going to be like this the rest of my life. I'll struggle with this sin the rest of my life. Can he really deliver me from this? Can he really deliver me from that? I really don't know that I believe that. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I just don't think he can change me. I'll just have to wait till heaven. We've got to change that perspective. Many of us believe he can save us, but we refuse to believe he can change us. Bottom line. We really don't believe it. So here's five things or six things real quickly I just want to leave with. Believing is acknowledging we have his power at our disposal. Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power to who? Towards us who believe. You have power. You have the power of the living God within you. And it's at your disposal. Believing is acknowledging that. Believing is understanding his written word can transform you. Many of you don't spend any time in the word. And you wonder why you never change. It's because you don't believe it can change you. Yet First Thessalonians, Paul says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. You've got to believe and understand that his written word can and will transform you, but if you never spend any time in it, it can't and it won't. Believing is being willing to suffer for his sake. I almost wanted to leave this one out because I don't like it. Philippians 129, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. To believe in him and to understand that part of believing is the suffering that comes along with believing. Suffering through life, suffering through the battle with the flesh. It would be a whole lot easier just to give in to the flesh, wouldn't it? And then there's no battle at all. But we suffer. We suffer because of him within us. And it's part of what it means to believe. Believing should impact our behavior. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. 
First Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness. This is sp- spoken to Timothy, young Timothy, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. It should show up in our conduct and our behavior. Believing is not some mental ascent. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. Great. But why don't you live like it? In your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity. Believing is understanding that we are free and forgiven. There are countless people in this room, countless people in this church who are anything but free and forgiven. They are living with past sins that they really have never been forgiven of. And they've never forgiven themselves of. But in Acts chapter 13, it says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. We can't save ourselves. We can't free ourselves. It is only in believing that we are truly free and forgiven. Then finally, believing is to experience joy and peace in this life. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will be about in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Do you want to have joy and peace? Man, I do. It comes with believing. It comes with watching Him work in my life every day. So what do you believe? What do you believe? Let me close with this quote. You're going to have to think about it. It's kind of tough. This was written back during the war, World War II. In ordinary times, we get along surprisingly well on the whole without ever discovering what our faith or our belief really is. If now and again this remote and academic problem, faith, is so unmannerly as to thrust its way into our minds, there are plenty of things we can do to drive the intruder away. But to us in wartime, cut off from mental distractions by restrictions and blackouts and cowering in a cellar with a gas mask under threat of imminent death, comes in the stronger fear and sits down beside us. What, he demands, rather disagreeably, what do you make of all this? What do you believe? Is your faith a comfort to you under the present circumstances? What do you believe when it's, it's dark? What do you believe when things aren't going well? What do you believe when your marriage isn't really what you want it to be? What do you believe when it looks like all hell's broken loose against you? What do you believe? Because it's then, that's the real test of what you truly believe. Is he really who he says he is? And does his offers of peace, joy, comfort, happiness, contentment, do those things really hold true? And for many of us, our actions prove otherwise believe believe we've got to believe guys let me close this in prayer father i come to you this morning and i ask that you would place in each man in this room a desire to believe a desire to believe that jesus christ is more than just a savior as if that's not enough he's more than that because he is also an enabler he he gives me the power to live the life I've been called to live. He's an interceder. When I don't even know what to pray, he intercedes on my behalf. He sits by by your right hand, Father, and he's there and he represents me in your throne room. Father, help us to believe that he is truly the Son of God 
the risen Lord, the King of kings. And he's coming again. He has all power and authority. And that power and authority is available to every man in this room. And we do not have to live in defeat. But we can live in victory. But we've got to start to believe it. And it's got to start to impact the way we live our lives, Father. Help us to believe. In James it says that you believe that God is one. Even the demons believe that. And at least they shudder. Help us to put our faith into action and live it out so that we might see you at work in and around us in this church, in our families, in our communities. Father, we want to see you more than anything else. And we want to see Jesus Christ lived out in each one of our lives. And we pray this in his heavenly and his holy name. Amen. Well, guys, pick up a lesson for next week, and we're going to talk about listen to me.